I'm going to um, extrapolate uh, a word today, if I may, from uh, may seem like a strange text. First Kings chapter three. I was going to preach about squirrels on scooters. <laughs> For those of you that don't know about that, I. Last year, you know, I, I get uh, inspired by strange things, and um, I don't remember sitting in an airport or something. I had seen the video of the little squirrel riding a motorcycle, or the, the monkey riding a motorcycle and grabbing the baby. I don't know. It was viral. It went viral, and, and the, the mom just stood there and looked. So last year, I preached about monkeys on motorcycles and unmoved mothers, and... Um, Brother Jordan said in class this morning he was waiting to hear a word about squirrels on scooters. So I really hate to disappoint you today. Um, <laughs> I racked my brain to figure out what I could do to preach on squirrels on scooters, and I just I couldn't come up with anything. So um, I guess we'll just have to take it for what it's worth. Amen. So I'm going to draw our text today from the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3. This has been in my heart for quite some time. Yes, there's a van with lights on, a, 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 a tan silhouette van with lights on. Our ushers will just let us know that. So if your lights are burning down, um, you may want to run out there and turn them off. 1 Kings chapter 3 is, uh, has been burning in my heart because... It's, um, it's something that I seek the Lord for often. But in the third chapter, the sixth verse, the Lord had been talking to Solomon and asked him what he could give him of anything that he wanted. And Solomon said, You showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy. According as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept him for this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. And I know not how to go out or come in. Now this is overwhelming when you're trying to lead and you can't do it on your own. He's the king, and he said, Lord, I, I don't even know how to go out or come in. He said, I'm in the midst of the people which thou hast chosen, the great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. He said, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this thy so great a people. And the speech... Pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you asked this thing and you did not ask for long life, you did not ask for riches, nor for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for wisdom. You asked for understanding to discern judgment. He said, behold, I have done according to thy words. I have given, given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither shall there be after thee. And so, 
immediately Solomon gets to exercise his judgment and his wisdom when two women came to him. And I'm going to give you the beginning of the story and then I'm going to teach, preach, whatever the Lord would have. There were two women that had babies and one of them, the mothers, rolled over on the child in the middle of the night and killed the baby. And so in the night she took her dead baby and put it in the bosom of the other mother and took the living baby from that mother while she slept and took it. And so the next morning when she woke up, she said, I looked in the face of the baby and I realized, Solomon, that that was not my child. My child was not dead. And so Solomon has asked the Lord for wisdom and now he has to lead with sound judgment. And Solomon said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the child that's alive bring me a sword, I'm going to cut it in half, I'm going to split the child between the two of you, and the mother whom the living baby belonged to, the Bible doesn't say this in the King James Version, but it, it, it basically alludes to the fact that she became desperate, she began to weep and said, no, let the baby live, tell your neighbor that this morning, let the baby live. And it was with that that the king discerned her heart. And he said, this, this is the mother. Verse 27. This is the mother thereof. She would rather her child have life than she would to be right. There's value in this story this morning. Amen. Let's pray. God, you have spoken a word to my heart today. I don't know how you're going to do it or what you're going to do it with or what's going to happen, but I'm just asking you for wisdom today, Lord, as Solomon sought you for wisdom. I desire wisdom in this house today. Lord, you are a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. You see every man, woman, and child that has gathered in this house. And for us, Lord, we celebrate Mother's Day today, and we're thankful for all of the moms that are here and the women that have impacted our lives, whether they have ever... Uh, had their own children or not, Lord, this church has been blessed with wonderful women to impact us. But I pray that your word, Lord, would look beyond just our North American traditions today and that you would help us to see the value, Lord, in the wisdom of women in the body of Christ that are willing to let children live. I plead the blood of Jesus over this house today. Let your word go forth and let it be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. You may be seated this morning. What a privilege it is to have all of our guests here with us in the house of the Lord. We are so honored. We are so very honored today to have you. Amen. I see faces here today that we have prayed for for a very long time. And we are so glad that you are here. I have... Um, I've spent a long season of my life, um, if I could say this today candidly, I've spent a long span of most of my life feeling like I was treading water that was over my head because the kingdom of God is so much bigger than, than me. It's so much bigger than what I know. It's so much bigger than what I can do myself. And I know today that this is not super strange. Because even Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, 
He said, if it's possible, let this cup pass. He said, my spirit, it's willing, but my flesh is weak. And so you're going to find out that any time you desire to do something for the Lord and God works through you, that the will of God at some point in your life, and hear me very closely today when I tell you this, the will of God at some point in your life will scare you slap to death. I used to preach as a juvenile preacher. That fear and faith cannot coexist. That's not true. Because I found out oftentimes that the only way I could get through something is to be certain that my faith was stronger than the fear that was present. Because I've had to do things before in the will of God knowing when I did it that I was afraid to do it. I have had to make decisions that if God did not help me make those decisions, it would surely fail and I'll never forget the day, and it's amazing, you know, as a, as a preacher, you really hope that some Sunday you're going to come, and that this is going to be the sermon, it's going to be the Sunday, and that person you've reached for is going to get it today, and the, you know, it's like, this is going to be the magic weekend, you're going to say the right thing, and that's what brings us back to the pulpit every week, that person we prayed for is going to come, I'm going to preach the right thing, they're going to bow their knee in repentance, and And you you hope that. And the reason why I feel that way is because I've had moments where God has spoken things to me in just one fleeting moment that perhaps the preacher did not even have in his notes. He didn't intend to preach it. But I remember one of those moments in my life came from uh, Brother Steve Wilson. He was preaching a conference. And I was sitting there, a young man wanted to do great things for God and had just, man, my life was full of faith and power and passion and, oh, I want to burn this world up for God and do great things. And he made this statement. He wasn't preaching anymore. He was done. He was given his kind of slow down his altar call. And he said, you need to go home and do something so big that if God doesn't show up, it'll fail. And I was like, that's stupid. I mean, why would I make myself look bad? And that's, it was that moment right there that the Lord began to teach me some things. We are always afraid to take a step of faith for God because we're afraid that if it fails, we'll look bad. But it was Bishop Billy Cole that made a powerful moving statement when his nephew Jack Cunningham had preached a sermon one night. And uh, it was, uh, I won't tell you the whole story because it would take a while, but he wasn't supposed to be preaching. They were on their way to the service and Brother Cole turned around to him in in the vehicle and said, Jack, you'll be preaching tonight. Well, he's a young minister, didn't have his notes together, didn't have it all right. And boy, he finished preaching. He said, I dropped my melon big and got in the car and I was depressed and down and out and I had really made a big boo-boo, you know, it was a big mistake. And he said, I got in the back seat of the car and got to poor mouth and about how bad I did. And he said, Brother Cole turned around, pointed his finger in his face and said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. He said, whoa, Uncle Bill. I need some mercy here. I'm, I'm not really looking for somebody to put judgment on me. He said, I, I need some mercy. He looked at me. He said, Jack, if you'll take the credit when it goes good, or take the credit when it goes bad, you'll take the credit when it goes good. He said, you're not trying to give God the glory. He said, this has never been about the glory of God. You dropped your melon and you're upset because God didn't show up and do what you wanted him to do. 
to think about how different our faith would operate in life if we weren't worried about who got the credit. How different would our lives be if we were willing to take a bold step of faith and say, okay, God, whatever you're doing, I want to be right in the middle of it. And I don't have to look good. I don't have to be the one, Lord, that's in the light. I don't have to be the one that gets the glory. I want you to receive the glory. And that really is what wisdom is all about. Wisdom is about finding the mind of God and walking in the will of God no matter what it costs you. And being willing, if I could say this today and not sound like I'm being negative, but uh, this is probably something you'd get upset on Mother's Day if your kid said this, but you're willing to look stupid if that's what you have to do. Because you know that your father's intention for you is never for you to look foolish or to look stupid. But it's his desire to see you do well and to see you overcome and to see you live victorious. But I've often wondered how many of us are so captivated and encapsulated in our own fear that we're afraid to take the step of faith that God has called us to and to live what God has called us to live. It's like if we obey God and we do what we know is the will of God, there will never be another job offer that comes to us. There will never be another program like this one. You know, if we don't do this right now instead of doing the will of God he'll never provide for us but understand me when I tell you today that walking in the wisdom of God is more valuable than anything that could ever be handed to you in your life I would rather know that I found the will of God and miss out on making more money and a bigger job and a bigger paycheck it's walking in the wisdom of God and so I spent most of my life trying to figure out how to do things that are bigger than I am and how to live a life that's bigger than me. And you could tell my goals were lofty. I mean, have you seen my wife? I'm married up. Like, I jumped on this thing. I was like, Lord, I need a good one. I, I, I really do. Here she comes. I'm going to be talking about her. I'm going to have to give you a good one. I'm going to have to give you an older one. It's going to take you and raise you. <laughs> and so you could tell I had lofty goals. But the reason that I had lofty goals on what my future was going to look like is because I had a lowly mother. I had a mother that was willing to get down in the trenches with me and say, you deserve more than somebody that just looks like a model. Don't go looking for somebody just based on what they look like. Don't just go looking for somebody based on uh, the gifts that they quote unquote bring to the table. You need to find somebody that's got a heart after God, seeking for wisdom, seeking the counsel of God. I can't tell you how many camp meetings I went to and knew I'd found my first love, my, my true love. Like, it was it. I knew before the first night of camp meeting was over, and I'd never even talked to her, but she knew. I mean, God had spoken to her, too. I'm sure of it. Sure of it. 
And by the second night, I knew I had missed the will of God on the first night. <laughs> I'm going to share a story. It's Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day. So, I had a mother that poured into my life and taught me to seek the wisdom of God, but it wasn't always smooth as butter when she did it. If you don't believe me, I have the scars to prove it. Not really. I, I, I have, as a father, many times looked at my kids and said, I'm just going to tell you right now, that wouldn't happen in front of my mom. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you the truth. I know we're streaming here today, but I, I'm, just, I'm just telling y'all, these goofballs that are out in the street, screaming, hollering, cussing, acting like fools, they wouldn't do that if they'd have had my mom. I promise you right now. I've been like, my life matters, and I don't want to die today. So help me God. You ain't never stared down the barrel of R.B. Bingham's finger, I don't guess. So. <laughs> so there was a situation going on in my life that to this day my mother will tell you, she'll, she'll tell you if she's honest with God. That I was completely, at, at this moment in time, I was completely innocent. I had, it was nothing that I had done. There were a couple of uh, young ladies that were family, and they were kind of pursuing me and Labana. So maybe Labana and my cousin was doing the legwork. I don't know. But nevertheless, I got some pictures in the mail one day in a letter. It was a love letter of how much I was loved. And, and oh, it was, it was beautiful. And, and honest to goodness, the, girls, uh, the girl sent a, a picture of herself, and um, like she was completely modest if you consider what Walmart looks like some days now. Um, I'm just being honest with you. You walk into some stores now, and you're like, did they, did they walk by a mirror at all? On their like, and uh, I mean, do they know that's hanging out? Is that like, and <laughs> and uh, you are you're welcome because I know some of you just thought about your shopping experiences this week, and uh, you know, let me say this: she wasn't she wasn't dressed holy. Elvis, it wasn't holy, but it certainly wasn't like what my mother expressed. And uh, she had on a spaghetti strap tank top, and my mom came in, and she said, That is porn! So she said, I'll never forget it. I was sitting in my room all by myself. Did not, have, did not have the letter anymore, did not have the picture, because as soon as that was opened, it was like it was done. And, uh, you know, we didn't have closed-door policies in my house. Like, you didn't go down the hall and slam the door. 
because you were upset. Like my mom would have drop kicked the door. And she, she came in my room that day, and I remember what I was sitting on. I still have the bass guitar in, in my office. I was sitting on my guitar case on the floor thinking, like, is this going to be my last meal? Am I going to die? Like, what's going to happen? And my, my mom came in, and she pointed her finger in my face, and she started praying over me. And she said, I rebuke every spirit of lust. I command she started wearing me out and I'm like whoa I didn't do anything and it was made very clear to me and you won't be either you won't be either it's not gonna be and uh, so I made up in my mind that there is no such thing in this society and you hear pastor very clearly today there is no such thing anymore as being overprotective of your kids. There's no such thing. Anymore. You cannot be overprotective of your kids. It's impossible. I'm telling you, the world wants our children. They want our babies. They want the next generation. You, you, you just can't. You, you can't. And, and you're not selling your kids short. Because you raise them in the house of the Lord. This is not just about a protective environment. This is about a place where your kids find out what real life is all about. And it's not just about money. It's not just about wealth and fame. It's about laying up for yourself treasures where moth and rust do not corrupt. Somebody looked at me this week, we're telling a story, and, and my kids were sitting around, and they said, oh, don't worry, my kids know everything, and I said, mine don't. And, and I'm not ashamed of that. There are some things that our kids should not know until they're married, but they're finding out in their fourth grade classrooms. It's impossible to overprotect your kids. Now, I'm not saying... You can't get a little bit out of hand, but don't, don't misunderstand me when I tell you today that you should never, ever feel bad being certain that the next generation has a love for truth before they have a love for money and before they have a love for making a big penny. Because I'll tell you why. If their first love is making a penny, that's what they'll always pursue. But if their first love is the kingdom of God, that's what they'll pursue. And so this past week I was reading and, and I don't know how in the world I get on this stuff for Mother's Day. I don't know. Like I would just like one holiday to be able to come in and preach something normal. You know, you understand what I'm saying? My wife was like, since when do we have to start preaching special mother sermons? Honey, just get up and preach. I'm like, do you know what would happen if I don't get up and talk about moms on Mother's Day? I'd get the looks that I'm getting right now. It just happens. I mean, I'm pretty sure I just looked back at my Aunt Teresa was like going to kill me a second ago. I don't know. Listen to what I'm, listen to what I'm telling you today. I, I was studying this, this past week and just trying to get my heart in alignment with God and what he was going to do. And I'm reading in 1 Kings, the third chapter, and the story comes up about these two women 
that have these babies. They're three days apart. If you read the story, the babies are three days apart, very close. It's too close to be able to tell a difference in age. And so they come to the king who had asked God for, for understanding and wisdom. And uh, his first opportunity to exercise wisdom is standing in the middle of the fury of two women. Now, I'm not saying that to be obnoxious. I'm just being honest. It was two desperate women. And they're, they're very, very desperate because one has lost her child. And so she is holding the life of another woman captive because she holds other people responsible for what she's been through. And so they have to come to a king and there is something that God began to speak to me. And this is going to get pretty heavy for a few minutes, okay? So just stay with me. But we cannot afford to be a generation of people. And yes, this is Mother's Day. And yes, this is about mothers in this chapter. But I want to talk to you about people. We cannot afford to allow what we have lost to keep us from rejoicing about what others have gained. Part of your story as it's being written is what you're going through and perhaps what you've lost. But I am convinced that God can never give us back in any way a measure of what we have lost until we learn to rejoice with our neighbor about what they have received. And I know this is going to be tight, so just stay with me right here. But I want to tell you something that I have seen godly people who have raised children and had an impact in their life and did everything they knew to do. And it was just apparent their kids weren't going to live for God. They didn't, they didn't want to live for God and they walked away from God. But what I've never understood is why that drives people to one other people's children to make the same decisions that theirs have so they feel justified. Is this okay? And it's kind of like we feel so much better if we know that somebody else's kids aren't perfect either. And what the Lord was dealing with me about, and of course this was not easy for me. To th- I was thinking, God, it's a happy day. Like we should be rejoicing. And it's, it's like this is a, this, it's a fun day. And he said, but I, I've got to get this in the hearts of my people. He said, another child lost. Let the king take the baby, cut it in half, then whatever. What the, you want to hold a broken baby now? And the principle comes to me that another broken child, another lost child, doesn't bring the first lost child back. Just because you're able to simulate the same experience doesn't fix anything that went wrong on the first one. And the Lord said, I want you to challenge my people and let them know that even if their children have wandered and have become wayfaring strangers from the truth, he said, let them know they need to do everything in their power to encourage every young person they can in the next generation. Then not everybody has to be lost. difficult this was a difficult thing I'm processing this I was driving down the road in my truck and I'm thinking about this I'm like 
I don't understand. I don't understand. These babies are three, they're three days apart. And now the woman just, she wants to take a living child. But the king's wisdom is exercised when he realized there's no way that's really the mother of that child. Because if it was, she would want it to live. And I'm, I'm rolling this over in my mind. And he says to me in my spirit, he says to me, he says, you can always tell the heart of a true mother. Not because of what they've given birth to, not, you know, I, I deal with this every Father's Day and Mother's Day. You can have kids and not be a mother. You can have kids and not be a father. As, as well, if, if, I'm, if I may say this, some of the blessings in this church have never mothered their own children, but they've been blessings and mothers to some of our children. But he said the spirit of the woman is revealed, and oh, Lord, this is hard, this is hard to preach on Mother's Day. I'm just being honest with you. He said, but the spirit of the woman is revealed in her selfishness to say, I would rather... I would rather carry a portion of her child not living than to have to bear the weight of what I've gone through by myself. I would rather know that somebody else is suffering so that I'm not suffering alone. This is tough. This is difficult. Because there's a principle that's deeper than the wisdom of Solomon here. This is not just about the Sol- uh, Solomon being wise and making a decision about this. This is the spirit of the world versus the spirit of the true mother church. Of the mother of a church that cares and loves people. You are willing to do whatever you have to do. Even if it means to let it go in order to let it live. The spirit of the mother is revealed by what breathes life. Woo. Is this what you came expecting on Mother's Day? God is challenging us as the body of Christ. As the mother, if you would. The church of the living God. To be a life-giving source. To touch and connect with the hearts of people. When the world says we don't care if we kill all of them. It doesn't matter. No. We'll kill all. We'll, we'll destroy all of them. We want all the babies. Listen, somebody somewhere is going to get a passion in their spirit to let the babies live. And, and God is helping us. He's, he's helping us. You know, this school... That we're, that we're bringing to pass is because God has chosen this church to be a mother in this community. To be a blessing to the fatherless and the motherless. And, and uh, I don't want to sound negative, but I, I reiterate again. There are a lot of kids in this town that have moms that don't understand mothers. 
And God is going to use this church as a mother to speak life into this community. I, 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 don't, I don't want this to be derogatory whatsoever. I, I want you to understand the spirit in which I'm presenting this to you. But I'm looking at the world and it's trying to tear our children in half. It's trying to tear the next generation in half. I look at Hollywood and Hollywood has never been about preserving family values. It's never been about preserving the next generation. I look at what this world's trying to do. Listen to what I'm telling you you today there's a reason why one of the most popular messages in the whole world is not about being fruitful and multiplying it's a message that says fall in love with who you want to fall in love with even if it disrupts the order of God because that can never reproduce in and of itself the only thing that it can reproduce is the corruption that it was born in Why does the enemy, can I just be plain this morning? Why does the enemy want our kids to be transsexual? Why does the enemy want our kids to be homosexual? Because it's impossible to be fruitful and multiply in the kingdom of God when perversion is destroying our family values. And you can hear the voice of the world that says, we don't care if we destroy them and rip them in half. Just give us the kids. But there's a voice of a mother that's saying, I'll do whatever I've got to do to let that baby live. I'll do anything I've got to do to keep the baby alive. And so I want, I want to speak a challenge if I can right here. I, I want to speak a challenge if I may, that God would help us as we invest in children. I want you to listen very closely to how this happens. Three days apart, these babies are three days apart. They're not like six months apart where you can tell because one's bigger than the other. Read the story. They're born three days apart. You know, if we're three days apart, I say, yeah, we're the same age. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah, we're the same age. And so you got two babies And this mother wakes up in the morning and lifts up this lifeless form that's supposed to be hers because this enemy has lied. But she recognizes in intimate way the face of this child. It's a face that she doesn't recognize as her own. Because this mother has spent... The last three days staring in the face of her own flesh and blood. And she recognizes only because of an intimate connection with her own child that this one is not mine. Three days apart. She doesn't recognize the size. She recognizes the form and the features. But when you let the world raise your children. And the world is what's always looking in the face of your children. And you haven't held your children close enough to even know what their face looks like. I'm telling you today, I don't want to sound like a broken record. But I do not want this world raising my children. I want to hold them so close that when I look in their face, I know who they are. And I know whose they are. And I know who they're connected to. the 
plan, it's the plan of the enemy to disfigure our children so much that they're unrecognizable. Well, this is a tough Mother's Day. How do you know that's not your child? Because I know the face of my baby. I have breastfed this child for the last three days. I've been so intimately close with this child. I have gazed in the face of this child. I know this child so intimately. I know what my baby looks like. And I want to tell you today, I'm thankful to be your pastor. And I'm thankful that you're in this church. And I'm thankful if you have children that you trust us with your children. And I'm thankful if you're a parent that you trust us to teach and train. But I want you to understand this. If we have children, it has never been the job of the church to raise our children in the admonition of the truth if anything it should be that this pulpit does nothing but echo the things that your children have heard at home I'm telling you today it is the will of God that we be intimately connected with the face of the next generation it's the will of God it's the will of God Why do we preach things that some say are old-fashioned? Why do we believe? Because I have seen... Uh, young people take a walk down a road that they should not go down and the, it immediately begins to disfigure the face of what was at one time recognizable. Listen, I, I, I'm not trying to read too deep into this, okay? But I want you, I want you to understand my heart. When I say to you that if the wrong thing raises our children, then that's what our children will identify with. If this other woman would have raised the living child, that child would have called her parents grandmother and grandfather. Am I making any sense? It affects the bloodline. It affects the lineage. It affects the language because of what we allow to raise our children. Our children will be intimate with the things that we allow to keep their hands around our children's minds and our children's heart and our children's ambition. Listen, this is established for us early, early, early on in the scripture as the mitzvah is explained. The laws of God unfold before us here. O Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. And listen to what the Lord said through Moses. He said, I want want you to tell your children this. What? The children, they're too little to understand the law. They're too little to understand. He said before they understand anything about where you came from, before they understand anything about Pharaoh, before they understand anything about Egypt, you tell them when they get up and when they go about their day and when they lay their head down at night, he said, I want you intimately connected with your children every day, all day, every single day, pour into the children. Tell them every day, every day, every day, every day. Uh, Our kids will embrace liberally in the next generation what we have embraced, even if from a distance at this stage. I used to hear a saying when I was a kid that it didn't make a lot of sense to me until I got old enough 
to start understanding some things. And, you know, especially like during the season where a lot of people were sick and all kinds of things, I, I, it started making more sense to me. And you can probably finish the phrase as I started that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I want you to know this deals very heavily with how we raise the next generation of apostolic Pentecostal young people. I thank God for the story of Luke 15. We call it the prodigal. We rejoice about the prodigal that came home. We rejoice about the prodigal that returned home. But I want to tell you today, and I want to speak not only to our young people, of course most of them are upstairs today working, but I want to speak to the saints of God in this church, and I want to tell you that this generation needs to know everybody doesn't need the same kind of testimony. We pray for prodigals every day. I want God to bring them home. But you end up having to undo some things that should have never been broken and heal things that should have never been broken. I'm saying today, mama, that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Let's teach our kids right now. You don't have to leave home to have a testimony. May it be forever enough that God delivered our parents from alcohol. That God delivered our parents from promiscuity. Listen, I'm telling you, it'll be all right with me if my girls never tip a bottle to their mouth and taste of alcohol. That's all right with me because I believe that what we allow to raise our children is what they become. Oh, God. Verse 26. And spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king. And this is where it dawns on me. That we have too many quiet moms in the church. This woman has a living child. Could you imagine if she would have just withdrawn herself and said, this is not worth fighting over. <laughs> this is not worth me saying anything about. I want to encourage you precious women of the Lord this morning that pray over our children every day. Don't you hush now. Don't you, don't, don't, don't you stop now. Don't you stop praying over these kids. Listen, you beseech the king every day over the kids that are still alive. I want you taking my children every day before the throne and saying, God, I want these babies to live. I want these kids to live. Don't you be a silent mother in the church. Don't you be a quiet mother in the church. Open up your mouth and declare it. I want the children to live. I want them to live. I want them to live. Then said... The woman whose the living child was unto the king. Why? For her bowels yearned upon her son. 
And she said, oh, my Lord, let the baby live. Let it live. But the other one, this, this preaches itself. The other one said, I don't care. It don't have to be mine or yours. You know what this is, Bishop? It's the spirit of compromise. Let's cut it in half. In other words, can I say it like this and break it down Gerber style? Let's meet in the middle. Let's just cut it in half and we'll meet you in the middle. But understand me when I tell you that a baby that is cut in half is still not alive. And what the spirit of compromise will never tell you is that both babies will be buried. Mm. Well, it feels better to me now because I got something to hold. But what you're holding is not alive. What you're holding is not living. The other said, let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Let's just meet in the middle over this. You don't have to see it my way, and I don't have to see it your way. I'm going to tell you something, and I'm not saying this for the sake of argument, and I'm not saying this to be ugly at all. I, I, I shouldn't have to preface this, but I, I want you to understand today. We need some moms that are absolutely opinionated about whether or not their kids, oh, Lord Jesus, about whether or not their kids live and die. I don't, I don't want nonchalant people in this church saying, you know what? Let, let, let them run for a while. Let, just. I'm, I, I'm, I really am. I'm trying to hurry. Several years ago, I preached. I preached. It's been a long time. Uh, Lauren was actually like a few weeks old, five, six weeks old. I was preaching a camp meeting out west. I preached a little sermon the Lord gave me called The Devil's Playground. And I preached about the Amish and the way that they allowed their children at a certain age to do what they call their rumspringa. The rumspringa, uh, they, they call the devil's playground. And this is how they do it. Their kids get a certain age and they allow them to do whatever they want to do and turn a blind eye to it. And this is the season of life where their kids make the decision whether or not if they want to be baptized into the church or they want to leave for good. Right? As in, they allow boys and girls to come in and stay in their home and spend the night together and fornicate and, and they just say, well, it's, it's not happening because they're on Rumspringa. They're, they're finding their own way. Well, God forbid... That my three girls find their own way. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't want my kids finding their own way. I don't. Because if we let them pick, they'll pick. Oh, pastor, you are so close-minded. Let me just be honest with y'all. I'm going to tell you right now. That my kids have never woke up on one single Sunday morning of their life, Sister Gray, and said, what are we doing this morning? My girls don't wake up on Sunday morning or go to bed on Saturday night and say, what are we doing tomorrow? Right. 
We've got to eliminate options in our kids. Listen, my kids need to know that Sunday morning is not golf day. It's not fishing day. It's not go to the lake day. It's go to the house of the Lord day. We're going to be in the house of the Lord. I say this in a hurry today. Now, I know this has probably been ran over. It's a rut. You know, it's, it, 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 they say a rut's just a grave that's open at both ends. I, I know this has been walked all over, but, but I used to hear them say all the time that I had a drug problem. You know, when I was a kid, I had a drug problem. Because every time the church doors were open, my mom and dad drugged me to the house of the Lord. That's a real drug problem. <laughs> well, it's easy for you to say, Pastor, because you have to be there to preach. And, and, and real, real people work all week. That's true. I mean, you could be blessed and be a, a pastor too because we only work two days a week. Count money and eat fried chicken. <laughs> it's, so, it's good. It's the good life. <laughs> I got one of those apps that turn you old, you know, like you can take a picture and it turns you old. And it supposedly projected what I was going to look like at like 80. I'm like, man, if I can just make it to 40 without looking like that, it'll be great. It'll be, oh, God, it'll be great. Listen to what I'm going to tell you all today. Every generation from the time of Jesus till right now has been busy. I'm, I'm so over the hogwash that we're, we're more busy than we've ever been. By whose choice? Why, why are we more busy? Because I want my kids to have the best. Oh, you want them to have things. So we get a bigger house, it's a bigger mortgage, so we have to work more hours. We wear ourselves out and we exhaust ourselves, and then we're too tired to give God our best. And so when we die, rather than our kids being able to stand in our casket and say, I thank God they taught me how to love the Lord, we can let them go to a lawyer and fight over who gets a third of the house. I'll tell you what, the things that next generations fight the most over are the things that pass away. I don't say this, please. No, I'm not being disrespectful. I mean, no disrespect by this whatsoever. But my, my in-laws lived a life of sacrifice. My father-in-law planted churches all over Canada and pastored small church. He was an incredible man of God. And when Papa Mac passed away, I went down to the church. And I walked in, I walked into that little office off the side of the platform. And when I walked in, I started putting my hands, I started putting my hands on all the books that were in his office. Because I knew that me and my wife weren't going to have to fight anybody over the bins. We weren't going to have to fight anybody over the 10,000 square foot house when I walked in I picked up something that was a treasure to me because today my wife is what she is not because her dad bought her first car and it was the nicest one at the school I want to tell you this Bible that I carried to the pulpit this morning I didn't buy this Bible 
I got this Bible off of a shelf when I walked into that office that day. And I said, God, the most valuable thing that this man has ever handed down to me and my, my children, his grandchildren, is what I'm walking out of here with. And since that time, nearly every time I've gone to the pulpit in the last two years, I've walked to the pulpit with a great treasure. Someday this will fall apart because it's just leather and paper. Someday, someday it's going to pass away. But what's inside of this book is never going to pass away. And I would rather my kids know. I would rather my kids know the Lord our God is one. Than I would for my kids to know. You just go live however you want to live. Do whatever you want to do. Go make daddy proud. I'm going to tell you what makes your daddy proud. And I'm not bragging on my kids. God bless them. Preacher's kids get enough, you know. But thank God this church loves my family enough. I don't have to put up with that junk. I'm going to tell you something about my girls. When I look up on this platform. (laughs) I hope they're not listening because they'll get a big head and act like their dad. (laughs) The other night in that missions conference. Oh, Lauren throwed her head back, man. She started rearing that head back and sang. And every one of the preachers on the front row looked over at me and said, Dear God, what happened to her? Say, I'll tell you what happened to her. Me and her mama have covered her in prayer every single day of her life. We've told her this is where the real treasure is. This is where it's at. When I see my girls up here singing... And I see my girls walking around to all these kids and praying and tears streaming down off of their face. I say, God, it's worth it all. It's worthwhile. It's worthwhile letting my kids live. Don't let the world take them and cut them in half and destroy them. I want them to live. I want them to live. The spirit, the spirit of the age says, you don't have to belong to the church or the world. You can just do your own thing. That's what it said, Bishop. It, you don't, it don't have to be mine or yours. It don't matter. Just... Do what you want to do. Let's just divide them up. But a a house that is divided, said our Messiah, a house that is divided can't stand. So I don't have monkeys on motorcycles and squirrels on scooters today. I need men and women of God that will stand on the word. That's what I need. I've never been the greatest athlete in the world. And I always enjoyed playing. I played a little bit when I was a kid and enjoyed it. Played with a lot of worldly guys and then came and played church softball league and that was interesting. (laughs) Guys that weren't lost before we started playing probably were when we got done. And I don't say this disrespectful at all. Josh and I know this. When it came to my dad, he's extremely competitive. Uh, Like, extremely is a terrible word to describe your brother. It's like intoxicatingly competitive. And I've had him turn around on the ball field when I let a ball go by. I was going to bust my teeth. And, like, it didn't matter because it's church softball league. And I'm like, whoa. 
We'll just let that one go. We're already up by 30 runs, you know? And, and God is my way. I'm not looking up there because I know he's staring at me. He's probably got his eyes squinted right now. I'm not. I haven't looked, but I can tell you it's something like this. I mean. And I, I've had him say, doggone it. If you ever played with us, everybody knows that look when it was on the mound. You go, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, it happened. But I want y'all to know something. He's got me on the ball field before. But I don't think there's ever been a time in my life that my dad had to come into the room and say, well, you better get your clothes on and get to the house of God. I don't think there's ever, ever been a time in my life, ever, I hope not, that my dad's had to look at me and say, son, what you were preaching today is not true. That's not truth. Never has there been a time in my life that he's looked at me and said, son, what, you, what you're believing is contrary to the word of God. I want to tell you why. It's because only the things that are eternal are what really matter. I, if, I, if I leave another putt short, we, we, we go back at each other right now. You know, I, we play golf and I leave a putt short and he'll say, good putt, TJ. And I'm like, no, if that's TJ, it'd have been back at the T. She'd have smoked that puppy. Cameron, I know you know nothing about what I'm saying right now with a competitive dad. Good putt, Shirley. You know, like. Listen, I may leave a few putts short. Brother Stephen, I don't want to come up short when it comes to truth. I want to believe truth. I want to stand on truth. I don't want to vacillate on truth. I don't want to change on truth. Listen, I want to tell you today, moms and dads and mothers of the faith and fathers of the faith, keep on being faithful. Keep on believing it. We're not going to let our attention of our children be divided by the church and the world. We're going to let them live. We're going to let them live. And we're going to give them to the house of the Lord and to the kingdom of God. I close, I close with this, and I'm, I'm done. I, I'm like six minutes longer than I should have been. And I was very reluctant to share this story because I, I, I hate getting, oh, Lord. I hate getting people's personal lives involved, and there's a lot of moving parts. And so if I offend somebody, I'll do my best to make it right. But I sat down the other day. In a place of business. And uh, the lady that was cutting my hair. She called the name of a young person from this church. And she said. uh, I heard that so and so. Passed up on the job opportunity of a lifetime. Because they said they were going to miss too much church. If they took the job. 
I said, uh, I want you to know I had nothing to do with that. That was a decision that that young person made on their own. And she said, I think it's awesome. Listen, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how to say this without it getting cuckoo crazy. And again, if it, if, if it offends anybody that they know who they are, I'll make it right. I'll buy them two cheeseburgers if I have to. I'll do whatever I need to do. But I want to I tell you something. You know that somebody has spoken the right thing into our young people's lives when they don't let what they've wanted to be all their life get in the way of what God wants them to be right now. And you will never, ever, ever regret seeking first the kingdom of God. Never. And to the parents that allowed that to transpire without speaking down to your kids and saying, what an idiot you are for letting that opportunity go. I applaud you today. I thank God for you today. Thank you for teaching your kids the value of being in the house of God and being in the presence of the Lord. Stand together. It shouldn't be that your pastor has to tell your kids what matters most. This will probably go down in history as maybe the strangest Mother's Day sermon I've ever preached. But I saw it in a way that I've never seen it before. That the world doesn't care if they divide our children. They don't care. The other one said, let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide the child. But the woman to whom the living child belonged to said, let it live. And the wisdom exercised of the king said, I know who the real mother is. So I'm going to take the child and give it to her. Listen, if we'll give our kids first to the Lord, he'll hand them back to us. He'll hand them back to us. <laughs> Father, I pray over this congregation today. I'm so thankful for the opportunity, Lord, to even be together on Mother's Day and celebrate these precious people of God. But Lord, there is a generation that's coming up behind us, if you withhold your coming at all, that's going to have to stand for truth. So today I pray that we would not divide our children between the world and the church, but that we would let them live. God, that you would give us power and passion and energy within us to fight for the next generation of young people in this church. Let us raise a generation of people that value the kingdom of God more than the kingdoms of men. I pray, Lord, for the parents and the grandparents and the precious people in this church that are always pouring in to the next generation. I plead the blood of Jesus, and I ask that you would give them the wisdom, Lord, that Solomon desired. The most crushing weight in the world that I have, Lord, is not leading this church. It's leading my children. And I want my kids to be saved. 
And so today again, God, we take our kids and we give them to you. Knowing, Lord, that if we give our children to you, that you'll give them back to us. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. From my heart to the heavens.